Good morning again. Our uh, scripture verse this morning comes from Exodus 14, uh, verses 19 through 31. It can be found on page 63 of my Bible. I don't know about you guys, but (laughs) hear these words. Then the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to the one side and light to the other. So neither went near the other all night long. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, And the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued them, and all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. During the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. He jammed the wheels of their chariots so that they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and at daybreak, the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing toward it and the Lord swept them into the sea. The water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen. The entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea, not one of them survived. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. That day, the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, The people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. This is the word of the Lord. Please pray with me. God, you are our deliverer. You have always been there for your people to lead them from slavery into freedom. Be with us now. Ready our hearts and our minds to hear what you have to say to us that we can see where you're leading us today as your people. Give us courage to follow and wisdom to listen and watch for your guidance. In your name we pray. Amen. How many times have you seen something like this happen in, uh, in the movies? You know, where uh, the hero finds themselves in this impossible-to-escape situation where the, the villain is closing in on them and their backs up against the wall And it doesn't look like there's any hope. But then at just the last minute, something miraculous happens. And the hero manages to escape, to live, to fight another day. You know, this is when when Batman pulls this unknown gadget out of his utility belt that we'd never seen before. But it just happens to be the right thing to get him out of the trap that the Joker has set for him. Or uh, we see this in, in The Lord of the Rings, where the eagles just happen to show up at just the right time to save our heroes and and swoop down and and scoop Frodo and Sam up from the slopes of Mount Doom as as lava is just about to close in on them. 
Now, we see this happen so often in movies, and, and this is how TV shows can run for 9, 10, 11 seasons and still drum up some drama that, oh, is, is our hero going to make it? Oh, no, just the last minute they get out. Keeps the story moving. You know, th- this happens so much that they've coined a term for things like this. They call it deus ex machina, which means God out of the machine. You know, and usually this is when something totally unrealistic happens to keep the story moving. You know, it, it saves the main character, and usually it's a sign of some sloppy writing and, uh, and cheap plot development. Our story today is not another case of deus ex machina. This is not a story of people getting bailed out at the last minute to keep the plot moving. You know, this, is, this isn't sloppy writing. In fact, the writing and the details in this story are, are loaded with meaning. And they point to something much bigger than what's happening on the surface. And we'll get into this a little bit later. But first, I want us to take a minute and focus on what it feels like to be trapped. You know, this is where the Israelites find themselves. They're trapped. They're pinned down between the army of Egypt on one side and the Red Sea on the other. They've got this hostile force bearing down on them. And then on the other side, there's this unavoidable, impassable obstacle. And I think most of us know what it feels like to be in that sort of position. You know, especially lately. How many of you have felt trapped in your homes? <laughs> you know, with, with the virus going on, many of us have gotten used to it. Uh, but then even a few weeks ago, you know, our, our habits got thrown off when there were wildfires going on and the air became toxic to breathe. You know, we felt trapped in our homes for a while, but at least we could go out for walks and things like that. But then once the skies turned gray and brown and the air was, was no longer healthy, we were even more trapped. You know, it was as if the fences kept moving in closer and closer, penning us in more and more. This current cultural moment can feel for us like a never-ending stint on the Red Sea, with a deadly virus closing in, wildfires raging on, continued incidents of racial injustice playing out on video, all of these things going on outside in the world. And then at the same time, we have our own inescapable personal and family issues rising up inside the home. It's as if we're trapped between both of these things, the outside problems and our inner problems. And as crazy as it might seem, I think it's usually our own internal problems that scare us the most. You know, for the Israelites, they looked out at the Red Sea as this chaotic and terrifying thing But the fear that comes from looking up and seeing your former slave master gearing up for war, gearing up to come take you back into slavery and damning your children to a lifetime of hard labor, that's a different kind of fear. That's a personal fear. And personal fears are often deeper and more... uh, They're different than the kind of fear that we experience from the impersonal things, like from a virus or a wildfire or the sea. I don't say this to downplay what's going on in the world because 
You know, the, these things are frightening and serious, and they're issues that are worth our, our time and attention. But I'm willing to bet, more often than not, it's the personal things that we experience that keep us up at night. Usually those are the things that scare us the most. Maybe it's the expectations that you've inherited from your parents. Maybe this feels like your slave master. That voice that says that you won't be enough unless you give us a perfect performance of your life. You need to be the perfect son or daughter. You need to be the perfect student in school. You need to then find the perfect spouse, land the perfect job, and then after all that, give us perfect grandchildren. This voice is the slave driver that piles load after load on your back. And it doesn't use a whip to keep you in line. It uses passive-aggressive comments and guilt with deadly precision. If you know what this voice sounds like, then you know what it's like to be trapped between a slave master and an ocean of anxiety. If you've ever felt the compulsive need to make other people happy in order to feel enough, in order to feel validated, then you know what it's like to be surrounded by slave masters. All the people that you see become your slave master because you need to make them happy in order to feel like you are enough. In those situations, you know what it feels like to be trapped between a slave master and a wall of fear. Or if you've ever wrestled with an addiction, then you are all too familiar with the slavery that comes from the slave master that you both love and hate. You know what it feels like to be trapped between them and the emptiness that you feel when this slave master is gone. Wherever you find yourself trapped, it can be tempting for us to read this story of the Israelites crossing the Red Sea and think to ourselves, well, you know, if God could part the Red Sea for the people of Israel, then maybe if, if I believe hard enough, then God will take away my problems. Then God will, will, will make them disappear. Maybe if I just pray a little bit more, he'll sweep away my problems like that. You know, if God could do that for them, Maybe, maybe I can make God do that for me too. And if this is the way that we approach the text, then we are completely missing the point. Because God is not someone who just comes in and swoops down and, and takes away our problems because we've done enough prayers or, or enough good things to, to make him do this for us. He doesn't do this last-minute, snatch, deus ex machina thing because we've been good, obedient believers. And if you want proof that, that this isn't how God operates, just, just go through the rest of the stories in the Bible. I mean, right away in the beginning, the, the Bible gives us this story of these two brothers, Cain and Abel. And we see Abel is this obedient uh, follower of God. He, he gives God these offerings that please God. You know, the, he's the good guy. But is his life easy? Is he, is he rewarded with all sorts of good things for his good behavior? No, his life is cut short because his brother is so overcome with envy that he ends up killing his brother. That's, that's kind of odd. That's not the way that we think things are supposed to go. You know, or look at the classic example of Job. You know, this is a guy that God points to as, as, how, how, as an example of how good humanity could be. You know, God loves Job. But what happened to him? 
You know, in the story, Satan lets him have the full force of emotional and physical uh, pain and suffering that he can muster. Job was loved by God, but he still faced and went through extraordinary challenges. And there are many more stories like this. You know, God is not like those, those crane machines that you see in the arcade, you know, those claws that come down and grab the toy and pick it up and, and bring it over for, to, the, to, to the prize box. You know, God doesn't just reach down and, and pick us up if we do enough things and take us out of our problems. No, God is, God is our loving Father who takes our hand and walks with us through our problems, through our challenges and our struggles. Like I said, this the story of the Israelites going through the Red Sea is not a story of deus ex machina. It's not sloppy storytelling. It's much bigger. And it's pointing to something beyond itself. It's, uh, it's pointing both backwards and forwards. I, I think it's really cool. If you look closely, you can see that the verses in Exodus 14 actually mirror the creation story that we see in Genesis 1. The Israelites crossing the Red Sea is a story of new creation. On the first day of creation, in Genesis 1, we see, God says, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. Well, what does God do in verse 20 of our passage that we read today? It says, the pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Through the night, the clouds brought darkness to one side and light to the other. Once again, we see God separating the light from the darkness. On the third day of creation, in Genesis 1, God said, Let the water under the sky be gathered to one place, and let dry ground appear. Well, in verse 21 of what we read today, we see Moses stretches out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. Once again, we see God separating the waters and causing dry ground to appear. We see this rhythm of new creation taking place. Finally, on the sixth day of creation, you know, the, the, God's, the apex of this creation story, God says, let us make mankind in our own image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over the creatures that move along the ground. God made humanity to be his representatives here on earth to be in a right relationship with both the creation and the creator. In our passage today, we see a new nation being created to be his representatives. The freed people of Israel to demonstrate to the world what it looks like to be in relationship with the living God and the promised land that he's giving them. The story of the Red Sea is not a last-minute sloppy writing deus ex machina situation. It's a story of new creation. And it can only happen if the people go through their fears and into the roaring and swirling sea. 
See, this is what I think most people miss about this story. That the Israelites going through the Red Sea is not a walk in the park. This is not an easy thing to do. Because in ancient cultures, the sea was the universal symbol for fear, for chaos, for trouble, for the unknown, and for death. You know, this wasn't where the Israelites wanted to go, but it was where God was leading them. God was leading them right into the chaos, right into their fears, right into the uncertainty. And as they walk through the sea, there's this constant worry that these walls of water heaped up on either side could come the crashing down at any moment, wiping them out like that, like, like nothing. And so as they're walking, it's like you're walking this tightrope of, of, of nervousness because you don't know what's going to happen and these could just come crashing down. You don't know. To step into the Red Sea would have been just as dangerous as walking right up to the Egyptian army. But this is where God was leading them. They had to go through the chaos to get to the freedom on the other side. The same was true for another person who would come along some 1,200 years after the Israelites made this famous journey. Not only was the crossing of the Red Sea pointing backwards to the creation story, but it was also pointing forwards. It was pointing ahead to someone else who would find themselves caught between a hostile empire and the symbol of death and chaos. At the end of his life, Jesus found himself with the Roman Empire and the religious leaders in his community that had teamed up with them on one side, and a cross on the other side. And just like the Israelites, his journey took him into that chaos, into that fear, and into death. It led him to the cross. Jesus stepped into the swirling and churning chaos because that's where God was leading him. And three days later, he emerged on the other side. He stepped out of the chaos, out of fear, and out of death. Jesus' resurrection is the ultimate example of what new creation really, really looks like. But he had to go through death to make it a reality. And you know what else? Uh, <laughs> I love this. Just like the Egyptians and, and everything that they represent, you know, power and privilege and slavery and wealth and empire, just like they chased after the Israelites but were destroyed on their way through, just as the Red Sea swallowed them up, the same thing happened when death and slavery and chaos thought that they had beaten Jesus. You know, it's as if these things, the expectations that we feel, the desires and addictions, the things that enslave us, it's as if these things had, had chased after Jesus into the tomb, along with all the brokenness and corruption and fear and death that we see in the world. It's as if they all chased after Jesus into the tomb like the Egyptians chasing after the Israelites. But as Jesus emerged on the other side, the walls closed in around them. These walls of water came crashing down, swallowing these things up and wiping them out while Jesus steps from the tomb alive. This is what Christians celebrate and what we remember in baptism. That's what this symbol is also pointing to. That the sin and the fear and the guilt which chased us and enslaved us from the moment we were born has followed us into the water, but has been swallowed up and drowned while we emerged the other side 
as a new creation, as a new person. Like Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. Whoever is in Christ is a new creation. Thank God. And the story of the Red Sea is a story of new creation. Jesus' resurrection is a sign of the new creation that we can expect and that we can hope for and look forward to. I want to know, where have you seen God bring about a new creation in your life? Where in your story has God brought you from slavery into freedom? Or where do you want to see God bring about a new creation in your life? Where do you need God to bring you from slavery into freedom? Where might he be leading you? Wherever it might be, I can guess that it's probably not someplace you want to go. Israelites didn't want to go through the Red Sea, but that's where God was calling them in order to get to the freedom that he had for them. Wherever you want to see it, we all need to remember that new creation only comes after we take a leap of faith and step into the chaos and into the uncertainty. It means going against the messages that we've heard our whole lives that you need to be perfect, to be loved. It means stepping out of that and into a place, an incredibly vulnerable place, where we trust that we will be loved and accepted even with all of our imperfections on full display. That's a scary place to go. It means doing things that come really unnaturally to us, like confessing when we've done something wrong instead of trying to hide it. Confessing things can feel a lot like stepping in between two walls of water that could come crashing down on us at any moment. But it's the way that God calls us to go in order to reach the real freedom that exists on the other side. It also means that we don't abandon God when things get hard, but we look for where he's guiding us through the pain and the anxiety because we know that God leads us to new things to better things that exist on the other side. And all of this is really, really challenging. It wasn't easy for the Israelites to step into the Red Sea. It was terrifying. But they came out the other side as free people, as God's chosen people, destined for a promised land. It wasn't easy for Jesus to go to the cross. You know, he was sweating blood just thinking about it. But he came out the other side as our resurrected king, bringing a new creation, a heavenly kingdom with him. Going through the unknown and the chaos of the sea is the way to freedom. It's the only way to really discover the new creation that God has in store for you. It can be hard to imagine. I don't think the Israelites really knew the good things that God had for them on the other side. But we see in the next chapter the song of praise that they sing once they've reached the other side. And they look back and they see their former captors totally taken out. Once they're there, they look back and they see and they recognize and they worship as a result of what God has done for them. And so I want to close with these two questions for you to think about. I mean, maybe it's three questions, but it's a, it's a couple. What might God be leading us towards as we make our, our way through our own experiences of feeling trapped and enslaved? 
as the walls of chaos and fear heap up on either side of us what new creation might be waiting on the other side. And then finally, what might God be asking you to leave behind, to be swept away when the waters come crashing back down behind you? What new creation is God leading you to? What is God asking you to leave behind, to be swept away? Let's pray. God, you are good. You went through death and chaos for us and forged a way for us to follow you through those things into the new creation and the freedom that you have in store for us on the other side. You have done this for us. And yet so often we are afraid to follow you. We see the waters heaped up and they scare us. Give us courage, Lord, to step into those situations, to let go of the things we need to let go of and follow you through with the hope and faith that on the other side is, is real life, something we've never actually known, something good that you have in store for us. Lord, thank you for sending your son to do this for us, to bring us into freedom because it's something we could never do on our own. We thank you for this incredible gift of grace. We ask that you would remind us of what you've already done for us and give us faith and hope to look forward to the things that you will do. In your name we pray. Amen.